Romans chapter 12, in the back of the blue songbook as well, Lord's Day 21. Page 27, back of the hymn book. Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 through 13. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Holy, inerrant, and inspired, and infallible God's word. Romans 12, 1 through 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. The grass withers, flower fades. The word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Beginning on page 27, let's read our catechism lesson for tonight. Beginning with question 54 through question 56. Christian, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers one and all 
as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it his duty to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. Focusing mainly on that second question, and could easily focus on any of those wonderful reminders. That last one kind of acts as an assurance of pardon on its own, that God will never hold against me any of my sin or my sinful nature. And that's because we have a perfect Savior who has lived a perfect life, who died a death for sinners and who continues to live for us and intercede for us in heaven. Be thinking about his coming over the next uh, several weeks as we move into the Advent season, and our hearts indeed will be filled with joy as we consider uh, the coming of the Messiah. Romans chapter 12, as uh, we think about the church, uh, the unity of the church, the gifting of the Spirit to the church, The picture is, of course, as we see, it is of a body. And a couple of things that we know about a body is that a body is unified in its purpose, that all of the body, a healthy body, works together to preserve health and to strengthen, to build itself up, and it acts in its own interest, right? It, by default, because of the way God has designed it, it acts in the interests of the body, the furthering of the health of the body. And that's uh, really helpful for us to keep in mind as we think about the body of Christ. It's something that is made up of many members. It is something that has wonderful variants in it. And it is something that has been built by God for us to be able to, by God's grace, contribute to the health of the entire body. So let's think about that body and a couple of barriers to unity as we begin our lesson this evening. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. By the Spirit we have been made to be a part of the body of Christ. We had Luther's uh, small catechism uh, in 
our affirmation of faith tonight. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, come to believe, but it's the Spirit who makes me a part of this body. Heidelberg Catechism echoes that very same sentiment. That God, by His grace, brings me into this body. It's all of God's grace. And we can't do anything to make God give us His grace. It's a reminder of His sovereignty and His sovereign grace. And by the Spirit, God has gifted each of us. So, the same principle reigns. Just as we cannot do anything to conjure God to give us salvation... So God freely bestows a gifting upon all of us. Verse 6 in our passage tonight says that this is according to the grace of God that is given to us. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll be looking at that a little bit tonight. It said, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. It's by the Spirit and the power of God who gives to each one individually according to his will. The first thing that we remind ourselves tonight is that we are to have humility when we think about not only the grace of God given to us, but the gifting of God with which he equips us. And that's why the apostle, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, think of yourself with sober judgment. A couple of things that I want to highlight with that. The first is that you must understand that God has gifted you. You must understand that God has equipped you with spiritual gifting, some kind of spiritual makeup that he has given to you for a purpose in his church. So God has gifted you, thus there is a purpose, and that God has gifted you, thus you must be humble. So there is a purpose, and you must be humble. One barrier to unity that we see crop up again and again in the church of Jesus Christ is someone who is very competent at what they do, and they know that they are competent. So I had the pastor Mark Jones uh, listen to uh, a sermon by him this past week, and he was talking about the conscious competent, thinking more highly than you ought, having some sort of gifting, understanding that you have this gifting, and saying, Wow, I am really good at what I do. That is a barrier to unity. Because if God has gifted us, then his gifting must humble us. Another barrier to unity would be someone who regards their gifting as pointless. Right? The foot. If a foot were to think that walking is pointless, that would be a body that would not be able to uh, operate with any efficiency. So not only is it dangerous to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think of your gifting more lowly than you ought. I think I've shared this with you before. My college football coach used to say, you're never as good as you think you are, you're never as bad as you think you are. That's a good way to think about yourself in the church, right? You're never as good as you think you are, you're never as bad as you think you are. The gifting of the body is to support its unity, God has done this. Now again, you need to bring yourself back to the sovereignty of God and the perfection of God. God has gifted each of us in the body, in the church, to support its unity, not to create division. So as we think about our gifts, one of the things we need to be thinking about is, uh, or making sure that we're using our gifts to support the unity of the church, 
not to create its division. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, speaks at length about the, uh, the picture of the body. He says, For just as the body has, is one and has many members, and all the members of the, of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The kind of sacramental kind of language there. And I mention that in order for us to remember that when we partake of the sacraments that Christ has instituted in his church, one of the main things that's going on, one of the primary things that's going on, is the spirit creating unity in the church. In a few weeks, we're going to gather around the Lord's table. And one of the things that the Spirit is doing there is creating a stronger unity. And so if God has created the unity in the church, who could ever break it? Who could ever break it? It is something that God has created. Thus it can't be broken, but we need to make sure that we are doing uh, all that we can do to support its unity. A couple of other barriers to unity... Let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 once again. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So a couple of barriers to unity is desiring a different gift, or what you think is a better gift. We might call this the the bitter foot. The foot who wants to be a hand. Right? Desiring a better gift is a barrier to unity. Why? Because it doubts God. It calls into question what God has done in gifting the various people in his church. Desiring a better gift or what you think is a better gift. Or another barrier to unity would be desiring to be free of the body because of what you think is a superior gift. The I thinks that, oh, its job is so much farther superior to other jobs. Therefore, it wants to be free of the body. I don't need the rest of the body. I am the eye, or I am the head, the brain. We need to make sure that we are fighting against all of these kinds of things. The body needs all that God has brought into it, and needs all that have been gifted by the Spirit to understand God's sovereign work. Those are some barriers to unity. Not desiring a different gift or what you think is a better gift. Not desiring to be free of the body. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. The call to both serve and receive. What are the gifts that the spirits can give to the church? The Bible lists many. Prophecy, which is basically proclaiming something in the midst of God's people, teaching, exhorting, hospitality, leading, giving generously, being merciful, being encouraging, being wise, 
having knowledge, uh, performing mighty acts, having the gift of languages, and serving. That's just, that's, that's many of them, but that's not even exhaustive. Essentially, the way we need to think about it is that anything that allows you to humbly contribute to the health and development of the body of Christ in a biblically ordered church, that is part of your gifting. I'll say it again. Anything that allows you to humbly contribute to the health and development of the body of Christ in a biblically ordered church, that is part of your gifting. When the church is organized according to Scripture, when the mission of the church is laid out according to Scripture, then the gifts will serve the health and the mission of the church. That's why it is so important for those who lead the church to make sure that we don't go to the right or to the left on the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? To make disciples, to proclaim, to preach the gospel, to administer the sacraments, and to administer church discipline. And so as we think about our own gifting and the way that God has fashioned each of us, it could be that you have a biblical virtue in abundance, patience, love, hope, faith, these kinds of things. And you are to put that on display in the midst of God's people, probably so that others can grow in that virtue. If God has given you an abundance of patience, then you are to put that on display in the midst of God's people so that the others uh, around you can see how you, how you function according to God's grace and they can grow in that virtue. It could be something that seems rather earthy and mundane, but only you can do it. I, I, I do honestly believe that a lot of the skills that we have, whether it be earthly trades or whatever, our vocation on earth, a lot of times the Lord allows us to contribute to the health of the church according to that gifting, how he has made us and fashioned us. If God has made you that way, and the most important community you're a part of on this earth is the church, wouldn't he want you to use that gifting and that makeup? So some of the challenges that are presented or the application that we can think about in regards to these things is that we are to seek to know and to learn and to understand and to use our gifting. The way that the Spirit has brought forth a a biblical and a spiritual maturity in our lives. We are to know or to seek to know this and to understand it and to use it. Spoke a couple of minutes ago about somebody who is conscious about their competence. Really, what we need in the church is those who are competent to do the work God has given them to do, but uh, they don't use it as a way to increase in pridefulness, right? An unconscious competent. Someone who gladly serves and is glad to serve the help, uh, glad to serve the health and the needs of the body but doesn't make a big deal about the way God has gifted them. So those are some barriers to unity and some general thoughts on gifting. Secondly is this, this is kind of the central call for tonight, is that we all have a responsibility to serve and to receive. We all have a responsibility to serve and to 
receive. Romans chapter 12, once again, verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. While we need to grow in our weaknesses, all of us have weaknesses, while we need to grow in, we- in our weaknesses, we especially need to lean into our strengths. How has God fashioned us and what are our strengths? There may be many of you who would rather die than get up and speak in front of people, right? But I would rather die than think about what we need to do to fix the bricks on the front of the church building. God has gifted some of you to figure out the solution for that. I definitely would rather die than think about how to plan events. I cannot do it. I am a total schlub when it comes to planning events. But some of you have been gifted to do those kinds of things. We are to use our giftedness in a way that helps the body. This is not an option. This is not an option for God's people. Would God give you a gift so that you could could waste it? No, he gives it to you so that you can use it. The great author Samuel Taylor Coleridge, as a really a sad story, had this wonderful gift of, of writing and really wasted his gift through a drug addiction, totally lost his ability to write, and he would sit down when drugs had taken over his mind, and he would wait for that gift to come, and it wouldn't come. And we're, we're often drawn to these stories in, in the world, these people who are wonderfully gifted to do something. They just uh, have this unbelievable ability, and when it is wasted on this or that or the other, we, we often our heart kind of goes out to them. We're filled with pity, and we just think, "What a waste!" Similarly, God has given us a gift to share in the midst of His church, and He's given it to us so that we can use it. First Peter chapter four says this: "As each has received a gift." Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. When we use our gift, when we use the way that God has made us to help and support the body, it's encouraging, could be serving, could be giving, whatever it is, we are being good stewards of God's varied grace. He has this wonderful way of gifting all of us in different ways to support the health of the body. So Peter goes on to say, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God is being glorified when his people live and act and serve according to the way that he has built them to do. We must also understand that God has limited each of us, right? He doesn't put anyone in the midst of his church who is some kind of superman who can do everything. We must understand that God has limited each of our abilities so that we would be forced to lean on each other. This is a particularly difficult challenge for us today because a lot of things about our life we're able to kind of take care of on our own, right? Right? 
Go back a couple of centuries, there weren't hospitals, there weren't grocery stores. And so for the church to get on in the world, we needed to really lean on each other much more diligently. And we don't have to do that as much, and so we need to make sure that we take great pains, brothers and sisters, to make sure that we are leaning on each other. It's interesting as you see connectivity increases in the world. And, you know, we, we always have the world at our fingertips and we can get any piece of information, we connect to any uh, corner of the earth. But as connectivity increases, it has been fascinating to see that loneliness is increasing as well. And despair, and these deaths of despair that have been documented over the last several years. And actually for the last three or four years, the life expectancy in the United States of America has gone down, and largely it has been because of these deaths of despair, because we're lonely, right? Even though we have this ability to have the world at our fingertips. So God has limited each of our abilities so that we would be forced to lean on each other. So just as we are called to serve, so we are called to receive. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Notice the two examples there of who might say I have no need of you. The eye, the head. These, these parts of the body that are in these prominent positions have these supposedly important jobs to do, they are not able to say that they have no need of the rest of the body. Just because someone has a gift that puts them more in front or more in the limelight, it does not mean they can flourish on their own. The eye may be important to a healthy body, but without the hand, when the eye notices something delicious to eat, there would be no way uh, to grasp it unless the hand were there, right? So to quote once again, uh, Mark Jones, this pastor I listened to this past week, he put a spin on a JFK quote, that old JFK quote, ask not what you can do for your country, or ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. This kind of idea of this grand sacrifice, and oftentimes that can be the way that we think about the church, but the way that we think about the church really must be ask what you can do for your church and what your church can do for you. It is our responsibility to seek out and to make sure that we are benefiting from the rest of the body that is there to serve us. That's the way that the community supports itself. That's the way that the body supports itself. So we are called to serve and to do so diligently and to do so by the power of the Spirit according to our gifting. We are also called to receive. We need to be open to receiving what the body has uh, to serve us. We are also called to clothe our less honorable parts with greater honor and dignity. We, have, we don't have an instinct to uh, cover up our hands. It's a dignified part of the body, largely because of its usefulness. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says that we take great care to clothe our body to allow us to show ourselves with dignity. And Paul's not being crass there. He's simply saying, he's merely making the point that there are many parts of our body that we instinctively cover up and we don't show normally. 
And the care we take in presenting our bodies as clothed so as to keep our dignity, that is to be the same instinct in uh, clothing each other with extra dignity. The church is to clothe, we are to clothe one another with dignity. Here's how that might look. And we should not be seeking to cover the head, the hand, and the eye with a dignified appearance. We ought to be saying, who is someone that the Spirit has equipped in our midst to serve in ways that others would see as insignificant or totally useless? And we should intentionally clothe them with dignity and honor. Cover them with dignity and honor, showing that we understand that without their faithful service, the body would not be the same. That's what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 12. So for a couple of thoughts of application, if you feel like the Spirit has given you an insignificant gift, you must see your place as essential in the body. If you are tempted to feel self-sufficient, I can get on in this body without the help of anyone else, you are filled with pride and you're endangering yourself. You can't, and then finally, you can't serve and receive unless you are an active part of the body. Many, some of us have limitations in that way because of the circumstances of life, and that's fine. But as God allows... Unless you are an active part of the body, you cannot serve and receive. Very simple point. You need to be amongst the people of God if you want to be a blessing and to be blessed by the people of God. We must be around each other. And our intentionality of that on the Lord's Day is always an encouragement to me. So lastly, then, as we close, we see what uh, Paul does at the end of this passage in Romans 12. The centrality of love. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. So we ask ourselves, is our love genuine? Is it shaped by the Bible's idea of what love is? We talked about this last week. True love is a love that would that would make sacrifices in order to see our brother and sister grow in love and devotion to Christ grow in a zeal to obey the commandments of Christ. That's what biblical love is. Are you making sacrifices and are you serving so that your brother or sister will be encouraged to love Christ and obey him more? And then finally, just as we close, also just an encouragement that if we are loving in a genuine way, our love will look like Christ. It will look like Jesus. That's the kind of standard that we need to hold out for ourselves when we think about how do we serve, how do we maintain a place in the body of Christ. It needs to be a love that looks like Jesus. He used his power, his ability, his place to redeem others. He didn't use it so as to exploit it for his own gain. He used his power, his place, his ability to redeem others, to serve others, to bring them into his fellowship, and to bless them. He didn't use it for his own gain, 
And so Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have, lo- just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In those two verses, Jesus uses three times little phrase, one another. Our concern is to be one another, for one another, to serve one another, for the glory of God. It's to be shaped by the love of Christ, but it is to be a love for one another. And by this, the world will see the world will see. It will be a, a, a way that the gospel is put on display. The world will see that we are his disciples, that we have love for one another, a love that is shaped like Christ. The more we gaze into uh, face, the life, the work of our Savior, the more we will desire uh, to love God's people with this Christ-shaped love. Amen. Let's pray. And so, God, we love your kingdom and we love your church and you have gifted us to serve and also to receive. So give us the strength to do that and to be obedient to what you call us to. We pray that by your spirit you would allow us to sense the gifting that you have given to us, that we might see the ways that we can serve in the body of Christ and uphold and create It's health and and strength by your grace and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. We end by singing number 400.